Hello, my name is Russ Shaw, and you're listening to episode 40, season 5 of the ASI podcast. Like anyone would be, I'm flattered by your fascination with me. Like any hot-blooded man, I am simply wanted an object to crave. But you, you're not allowed. You're uninvited and unfortunate. It's like. Yes, episode 40, uh, approaching the Halloween season with a, you know, I thought my story was the only dark and scary Halloween stormy night kind of fucking story until I heard Scott's story. Love you guys, and I do mean that sincerely, and I pray that you listen to this uh, all the way through. Um, my friend Scott, the power of the situation, it lives in the individual, all right? I'm not a morality first guy. I hope you understand that. Truth, it's an observed constant existing outside of the self. And that's something that we all have to come to in our own time. And I hope you think about that when you listen to this show Especially you religious folks, right? I, I know I use that word with negative terms, but some of you hold tight to faith because you're going to discover what small f and big F faith is in this journey. I guarantee you. So I hope you listen with an open mind to Scott's story here on the ASI podcast. Fight the differences, find the similarities, and do not ever give up hope. Because if you're like me, where you're ready to commit suicide, you know, and I, I should have, I should have been dead multiple times over and over for the, either the way I acted out, the alcoholism, the drugs, promiscuity, whatever it was, and I'm here today for a reason. You know, my, my problems weren't going away, they were compounding and getting worse and worse and worse. And that's, again, when I, that real estate market collapsed, you know, you, you may pity me for losing $10 million, but it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Because wow. it was my wake-up call. I was alive to experience it. I went through it. I do have a close-knit, close, close, close-knit group of friends. Right. And what I realized for the first time is they didn't care if I had airplanes or money or whatever. They still loved me for who I was. And that was shocking for me.
on the ASI podcast. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. You and I, you bet. You and I are friends. We've known each other for a little while. We'll, we'll let listeners know how we know each other eventually. But I wanted to introduce you. Uh, you live here in the. Uh, Every area, Snohomish yes. County. And uh, how old are you, man? I am 48 years old. 48, yeah. I'm 49, so we're 48 right around years that old, area. single male. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I have a similar story when it comes to, like, recovery. And we'll get into that as well, but sure. I wanted to, you're, you're a single guy. Yes. So, Scott, you and I know each other mm-hmm. because of a uh, group we go to, and statistically, um, People listening to this show, especially men, mm-hmm. people who deal with stubborn, sticky, sexual—the uh, word is sexual addiction. I think mm-hmm. that we're starting to move away from that. I think the, the the modern term today that psychologists are trying to stop saying sexual addiction, start using the words intimacy disorder. Mm-hmm. So people who struggle and suffer with that. A large percentage of them, uh, surveys are showing, have some kind of childhood sexual assault. I, I believe it. And so the way Scott and I met is that you and I were are involved in a group that is for male survivors of childhood sexual assault. Yes. So, listeners, I want you to hear Scott's story. And some of you are going to relate to some of the things that he's gone through and the, some of the ways that he's felt in, uh, in in his story, because I do surveys on the show, uh, and you can go to asi247.org, click on the survey page, and there's surveys on there. One of the surveys, I think it's the ASI confessional, I call it, um, I ask listeners directly, have you been sexually assaulted? Right. And I have this three kind of, you know, there's another section, but there's a... Uh, is multiple choice. So it's yes, no, and some things happen, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it counts, sure. right? So we get into that some, and part of your story, you said uh, you, you were kind of in that camp for a while, right, where you right. weren't sure, was this really that bad? Because I think when you grow up in it, it just feels like your norm, right? I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I could, I could taste it. I could feel it. I could smell it. Something was wrong, but I just, I like life cannot be this complicatedly confusing. And I'm seeing all my friends out. I, I know they're getting married. They're having kids. Not that that's an important thing. Right. They're out socializing. They're doing stuff. I and mean, with social media, but why am I always at home isolating? And no one's born from, this complicated. I know, good. Why am I so good financially on the outside at my job, but yet on the inside I am. I am just, I have that five o'clock shutdown. I want to go and run home as fast as I can. And it wasn't like I didn't have people calling me and saying, hey, what are you doing tonight? We're, we're going to go to a movie or we're going to go for a run or do this and that. I'm, I always made an excuse. I had to work. It was right. a lie. Uh-huh. But going back to what you talk about, like, um, like the pornography and the alcohol was kind of like the same thing. So for me, the alcohol part was it's kind of confusing, but um, it was a symptom of something much deeper. Because right. like I was in AA for four years, I was sober for four years, but I was still miserable. Uh-huh. And then if you look at the pornography side of it, like you talk about in your podcast and stuff, I'm going to give you my perspective: is that just because I I do it doesn't mean that I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not going to label myself as such. Right. It's just it's a byproduct. I think of being lonely um, and horny, and you know all that other stuff that's there. You you want something. It's so that's what's so hard is to put words into what happens for us is because we as guys. 
for me, I can't say for you, but for me, I want to isolate, but yet I want to be part of something much bigger than myself. Yeah. So I've always, it's a power struggle within myself because I want to have a family maybe, I want to have a wife, I want to be married, but yeah, part of me doesn't want to be vulnerable, exposed. These are all the opposite things that what we're taught as a man we're supposed to be. Yeah. Masculine, like your, your ABC question. I mean, that if my heart rate started going up when you're talking about, it. if I was a new guy and I heard someone, I would shut your podcast down right away if I had that survey because I'd be like, no way, I'm not going to admit it. I don't want you to know who I am and this kind of right. stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's what I would worry about, you know, today through my healing. And it's been a long journey and it's, it's something that I will live with the rest of my life. And But my life is manageable today because. I've gotten the help I need. I've worked with guys. Um, I've worked with this other guy down. You know, we'll talk about him in a little bit. One on one coaching with him, and then the counseling, and uh, you know, the EMDR I've done. Uh, so you got EMDR. hungry for healing. That's what you're saying. There's a better way out there, and I was willing. The pain of not doing anything yeah. for the first time in my life exceeded the benefits of not of doing it. Of staying sense. in your soup. Yep. I yeah. had to pull myself out and it took more energy to pull myself out than it did to stay. But I knew that if I stayed, I was going to be either dead, either um, through promiscuity, through some sexual disease, through alcohol, through drinking and driving, through something. I would, And I probably would have taken someone out, out with me. Not that I intended to, but right. and I can't do that to other people. And there's a, you know, I'm 48 years old. The first 48 years of my life are over. First half, I'm looking now forward to the second 48. And I can't control the past and what happened to me, but I can control, and I do have some control. And I'm starting to control my life and what I want to do for the next 48. Right. And that's where my healings begins. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But the pornography part of it is huge. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I can't label myself that. And I'm not going to. Right. Um, just because if I do watch porn or I do something, that's just something that I can do and it's something I can do for myself today. Yeah. You know, and here's the other thing, and I know that we talked about a lot of like spirituality stuff, yeah, yeah. religion, uh-huh. is this is my thing is that I grew up in the Catholic church and Catholic, private Catholic school my entire life. Right. And, you know, I'm not mad at God for what happened and I believe in something bigger than myself. But my opinion is personally today, and this is really important, is... I lost my train of thought. Is um, I'm not. Uh, I know what it is. I'm not going to wait for God to fix to, you. To fix me. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm going to take charge of my life, and that's part of ACT therapy. Is um, ACT is action. Action changes things. That's right. And you have to do the work. And if yeah. you do the work, I mean, and I've seen people that sit there and pray on it, pray on it, pray on it. I met a lot of different guys just like myself, and nothing's happening for them. Yeah. If it is or isn't, I don't know. I mean, it took me and that's one of the things with, with me and it, with doing this show over the years that I've noticed. I had another guest on the show, uh, Cash Peters, who who brought this up and reminded me of it. And it's very true that a lot of Christians, especially American evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. seem to, once you scratch the surface and just get a little bit underneath, there's just miles of shit they haven't dealt with. And part of it is because we've built a sort of a kind of shell for them to live comfortably in and it sells and it keeps people going to these churches where they branded their version of Jesus in a way that oh you don't have to deal with your shit just come here give us money and hear a speech every week and you'll be fine I like to remind people about the uh Jesus tells this story of the prodigal son and the prodigal son is living in pig shit and he doesn't like his life 
And yeah. no, there's no angel that comes and pulls his ass out of there, right? right. There's no, there's, yeah. Jesus doesn't show up, you know, with a rope. And I, I remember this picture and it was this dude and he's like, oh, he's passing out and Jesus is holding him up. And, and you know, part of me likes that to a certain degree, but at the same time, man, you've got to get out of the pig shit, and the, 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 the thing yeah. about that story, people call it the prodigal son story. I like the, I like the running father metaphor better yeah. because the father doesn't look at the son and go, oh, go take a bath and wash that pig shit off you before mm-hmm. you come to me. Mm-hmm. He just sees him coming and wraps his arms around him. Like, come on in. And then the older brother, who's the kind of religious cat, is over there going, why are you inviting him and do our thing? Yep. Like he's a... <laughs> so so I, I so resonate with what you're saying there because that is... Uh, man, and I'm judged for this and I'm criticized for this, but it's so incredibly important that people realize that, um, yeah, I'm not here to, to make you feel... But you give you nice Jesusy feelings, like right. God's going to come and throw you some kind of mm-hmm. life raft. This is hard. It is hard work. That's why, again, there's another passage in the Bible that says, "You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, mm-hmm. like I'm going to lead you by quiet pastures and nice springs, and then." I'll walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. And we don't want to go there, but that's some of the work that we're talking about in in actually walking towards that thing that you might be going, I don't know, was it real? Was Was it something that I... You know, yeah. what, is it just because me and my story, I thought I was raped when I was nine years old. But for a long time, I just kind of wrote it off as, oh, that was just kids experimenting. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. yeah, I was, you know, I was that guy. So, And that's the thing is that we're not telling people not to use religion or spirituality. That's something that's part of your healing. Yeah. But it's not going to be the whole thing. AA is important if you're an alcoholic or you have drug problems. you got to get a hold of your... Higher whatever, power. Your, right. Whatever it is, that's going to supplement you. It's going to help you. It's not going to... It's not a cure-all and it's not going to fix you. You have to do the work. And what I've always been taught, and especially with this stuff, is that... I mean, we're in uncharted waters as we progress through this because there's not, this is a new, it's a taboo subject, it's an issue, um, male sexual abuse is something we just don't talk about still, it's yeah. becoming less and less like that, so we're we're treading in uncharted waters, but I can tell you how I succeeded was I worked through it. I didn't, I always wanted to avoid it, I didn't go around it, under it, or over it, I had to go through it. And the more I went through it, the more I experienced it, the more I told my story, the smaller it became. That story will always be part of who I am. And you can get healing through the church. You can get healing through AA. You can get healing through all the crap that I did. EMDR, DBD therapy, ACT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, like I said, um, one-on-one counseling, one-on-one group, and then especially working like you and I in a group with a bunch of guys where we sit around and tell our own story and talk about it and stuff. That's where you get healing. And you said something that was really important, and I keyed on to it, is that if you're new and you're listening to this podcast, good for you because we're probably 35, 40 minutes into it right now. Keep going because if you keep going, what you want to do is when you're around groups like us or guys is you're going to come in very defensive and scared. And if you can learn to associate and just from one person, even this podcast, find one thing that you're similar to us in the situation, you're going to create bonding and you're yeah. going to create a connection yeah. and you're going to want more and more of it. Because we're out here, Russ and I are telling you healing is possible. It exists. It takes work. It's not fun. But 
don't disassociate with someone in their story. Don't fight them and find the differences. There's going to be differences. Yeah. Find and connect with the similarities in their stories. Yeah. These are two people you'll probably never meet physically, but you can listen to us on the podcast. We're safe. Yeah. Um, if you can find something in our stories that's similar to yours, your healing can then begin. This is how we've done it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like I said, yeah, I forgot. Sorry, buddy. But yeah. <laughs> I will use that to help supplement my... I will use it to supplement my recovery, but I'm not going to rely on 100%. I'm not the guy that's going to sit through and read a Bible and read a bunch of paragraphs and pray 20 Hail Marys or Our Fathers at night before I go to bed. I, yeah. I don't roll like that. Yeah. But I do use it and I believe in it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting into... So getting into your story. Yes. Yeah, I guess to jump into my story really quick and give you a introdu- quick introduction. It's um, basically, I'm 48 years old, single male. Um, I live in you know, the Pacific Northwest. Um, what happened was my mom was divorced and we, my mom had remarried this guy. Um, we were, I was approximately, I'd say about nine years old. Uh-huh. And all the way from basically nine as my stepfather, he abused not only myself, my sister, and my mom, but unbeknownst to ourselves. But from six to, well, nine to 16, so seven years, I was abused twice a day. And during the summer when we weren't in school, it was probably three times a day. So, you know, if you run the math on that mathematically, you know, it's, it's, you know, three times, eight times, whatever. You're talking about sexually abused. abused, By my stepfather. And so... And the funny part about the whole thing, if there is anything funny about it today, is I can't remember what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the PTSD and the trauma of the experience of what happens. I can right. remember little bits and pieces. and But that does not mean, and that's as important to understand, is that I think that for a lot of your listeners, too, that are suffering from you know sexual abuse, is that you don't have to remember everything in the details in order to have healing and make healing happen for people. Right. You know, and I'm evidence of that and I've seen that before. Uh, maybe that will come to me down the road, but today I just, I still can't remember it. Um, I've done a lot of therapy. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit too. Um, <clears throat> but again, most important thing there is that healing can happen without you having a full recovery memory mm-hmm. of the experience. Right. Now you, uh, you got into this work of, Dealing with the uh, with the abuse through how, how did that unfold? Like what? So here's the, here's the thing: is that a lot of people do different things. One of the things that I did as a byproduct of my abuse, after my abuser was out of my life, is I started to overachieve. Okay. So I did the opposite of um, underachieving or trying to seclude myself and run away and isolate. And what that so what did that look like? Um, it started in school. I was a class president. I played football. I was the captain of the football team. I was quarterback of the football team. Um, but underneath, I was just a terrified person. I, I was so scared to be in the public. I was so worried about what other people thought of me. And as I got a little bit older and older, all of a sudden in my life, those insecurities just kept getting worse and worse. And I would overachieve, get straight A's, all this other stuff. I got my pass license before my driver's license. Um, I did all the stuff to make myself look good on the outside because underneath I was hurting so bad. Right. And then the problem there is when I went off to college I became the age of alcohol, all of a sudden I had my first drink and I'm like, for the first thirty minutes of my life, I was happy. I, I didn't have that pain and that emotion and that feeling and all of a sudden I started becoming dependent upon that. I wanted that more and more naturally. I mean but how old were you at this time? I just left for college, probably eighteen, nineteen, right in there. Okay. So yeah. 
They grew up very, very wealthy family, very, you know, very prominent, right. above middle class, way above middle class. Right. You know, so I had access to a lot of funds and money and stuff. It was, it was Your stepfather a, owned a... He owned some, he owned his own businesses, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then my mom owned her own businesses as well, too. So, yeah, without saying specifically which ones they are. Right, right. You would know. Uh-huh. Um, and that was the thing that I got into college, and all of a sudden, I mean, I graduated from high school as a junior. I mean, I had so, and because I wanted to get out of there, I just didn't feel comfortable. I was always running. We call it a geographical escape. So then I go to um, Gonzaga University, Uh and um, I I lasted about six months there. And um, all along, Top Gun came out. I was a pilot. I wanted to be in the Navy. I wanted to fly. I wanted to go to Annapolis, and I didn't get picked up that year because I was actually too young to go. So, so you joined the Navy. So then I enlisted in the Navy. Wow. While I was at Gonzaga, my mom was not happy with me at all. Right. I don't blame her. She didn't get her money back. Um, and then um, I suicided. I got into Annapolis the next year. President Bush Sr. gave me a nomination. So I went to Annapolis, which was a full ride, four-year college. Wow. And while I was there, that's where the abuse really prevalently came out because I could not. I mean, I have three to four upperclassmen on top of me at all times, just yelling and screaming. And you can't dodge it. You can't get away from it. Right. And I, I hung out for two years, and I was just failing miserably in classes. I just could not focus. Um, and then um, I left there after my second year. Before I walked into my third year, I would have had to sign a commitment to go into the fleets, you know, if I graduated or didn't graduate. If I didn't graduate, I would have been enlisted. Had I graduated, I would have been four to five years, depending on what track I went. So I came out of there, went home, um, worked for my mom a little bit, and then I went to um, Washington State University and graduated there two years later. Okay. Came out, and that's where uh, my problems really started. It was like 1996. Um, just I never felt comfortable. I was always an isolationist in my entire life. Right. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be around people in college. I had my own private apartment. I tried to get into a fraternity, but I couldn't deal with it because there's too many people. And it didn't allow me to isolate, which was my perplexity to do from the, from the abuse. Right. So what did I do? I, I graduated college. Um, I started buying real estate. Right. It, it was perfect with my business degree. And it was during the time of uh, Bill Clinton when you, anybody, if you had a heartbeat, you can get a loan. Right. Loan. So uh-huh. I was buying property. And, and That's why I own a house. Yeah. It was giving <laughs> me a high. I mean, yeah. I was like, it wasn't, I wasn't doing it for myself. I was doing it to sell it to you. Hey, look what I just bought. You know, I'm okay. Right, so I'm, then I bought another one. I bought another one. And um, I'm going nuts. And all of a sudden, I buy property in East Washington. And then I buy an airplane. And now I'm buying property. I need a, a property in California so I can write off my plane legitimately. And um, I'm flying all over the place buying property. And, um, you know, I'm in the tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not doing it for myself or my financial future. I'm doing it to sell it to the other person. I'm very arrogant. I'm bragging. I'm talking about it. Because underneath, I'm hurting so bad and insecure with myself that I'm telling you what I am and who I am. And I want you to love me for what I've got and where, where you know, what I have and how much is in my portfolio. So then all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, I'm engaged for the first time ever. And um, the, the, she walked out. Um, it was a bad situation. I was I was happy to be out. Yeah. And then the real estate market crashed in 2007, and that's where I hit my rock bottom because I there's nothing I could do to stop the snowball of the deflation of the value of my properties. And the banks were calling my notes. Um, banks were closing, and you know I ended up in a 10 plus million dollar bankruptcy. I lost every single property that I own, right. and I lost the airplane in the bankruptcy. Wow! So that was that. That kind of rock bottom moment, that uh, the place where you're like, 
you know, uh, like this just happened. My my world, you know, your kind of yeah. castle and all of what you built kind of crumbled down around you. And well, it was who I was. Right. I, I, admit, I was not able to connect with myself emotionally and physically uh, as far as the emotional aspect of it, but I was able to connect with myself on the on the outside and that's what I broadcast to the people and if you look at it from a big service I was doing this not for my financial retirement not for my financial I was doing it to project project to other people that I was okay and that's the thing about child sexual abuse especially is it's an invisible disease yeah and being that invisible disease I remember you guys talked about this on the last podcast and you used these words It's, it's an invisible disease and what it is, is it's, it's not, I didn't break my arm and there's an MRI to show it or an x-ray. It's a mental screw. It's, it's so bad. And especially for guys, guys are taught those myths associated with abuse. Men are not to be penetrated. We're supposed to, our society says we're supposed to be strong and brave and um, just amazing people. Yeah. It doesn't happen to guys, you know, and that makes us more weaker or vulnerable. Well, that's not true. Yeah. And those are those myths you have to work through. Yeah. So as I hit bottom and everything was falling apart, um, you know, I, I was in AAA, um, and, and no one else was to talk about it, but so what, so be it. Right. Um, I won't use any names and protect anonymity of the people there. Um, yeah, but I went in AA, and I had four years of sobriety. Right. And, and AA was a big deal. What, what, what made you start to get into... To... I was just drinking every night. So I was what's called an... Um, an um, what I personally call myself is a... Um, a five o'clock shutdown alcoholic. So I would go to work, I'd perform phenomenally. About 3.30, I'd start getting those cravings, and four o'clock, I'd, I'd start looking at the clock, knowing I was getting off at five, and I would go and... Um, this is eight, while you were in real estate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd get an 18 pack, and um, I'd go home at five o'clock, and I'd just shut the door, watch TV, and pass out drinking every right. night. I wouldn't go out, I wouldn't socialize with anybody, I made all my appointments during the day. Um, I was a five o'clock shutdown. And I did that every single day. I'm so lucky to be alive. Right. I, mean, I should not be alive. 18 beers every day for that yeah, long. Mess time. up a liver. Yeah. 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 So in AA, right. one of the things that you learned going through that was uh, starting to trust other people in the group. I think that's the one of the most powerful things. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a super hooray guy on AA or, right. or, or all the 12 step stuff. Like, I think it has benefits. Yes. But I, I think the biggest benefit is the relationships. There, there starts to begin this relational paradigm where you see, you know, in, in spiritual circles. I heard a guy talk about he's a uh, his name's John Philip Newell, um, Celtic kind of uh, Christian. But he was talking about this kind of spirit first approach. There's something very spiritual about those groups. Like there's something moving in that room where people just start to feel safe enough to, to divulge their heart, right? And yeah. I think part of it is the, the AA, is Alcoholics are Anonymous. The anonymous mm-hmm. part is we walk in, we hang our egos at the door, mm-hmm. like your coat. Yep. Your ego's over there, and then you're just in that room with those people, mm-hmm. and it gets into that kind of like relational yeah, the, nudity you're talking about a little bit. Yeah, for the beginning, it was for me, it was someone who's a professional isolationist. All of a sudden, I'm starting to have connection with other people. Right. And I come in, I'm scared. I didn't come in because I was having a great day. Yeah. <laughs> Rarely does someone come in when they're first having a bad day, but they love me. Yeah. And this was like an unconditional safe love, and it's a connection. I was like, and then again, I used the analogy we talked about is where I had to find similarities, not the differences. Yeah. And I had to, re- what it did teach me, though, is that how much, one, I did isolate. 
But I was, if you really want to look at it, they, they are right. I was selfish, self-centered, and self-seeking. And I was also the, the fourth as Scott was my problem. Yeah. <laughs> selfish, self-seeking, self-centered, and Scott. The <laughs> way I was thinking, I had four S's that were just destroying me. But it gave me connection. and started putting... So it's like a dot-to-dot for a little kid. You look at it and there's numbers and a bunch of dots, but there's no picture. All of a sudden, AA starts putting dots. I draw a line from one to two, two to three, three to four, and all of a sudden a picture is starting to emerge. It's it's a foggy picture, Uh but my picture is starting to come together. Right. So that's what AA did. It started me on my track, and I had to arrest the drinking part before I could really move forward because I couldn't continually use... Because I was, I wasn't using. I, I can't say that I'm an alcoholic. I, I, I really can't today. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't hardly drink at all today, right. and I don't want to drink. That's what really bothers me about it. Like confusing. you're supposed to call yourself an addict all your life. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> but it is important. <laughs> I'm not doing it because it's it's where I started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my it got me on my healing path. And it, and it because it opened it, my eyes. And it, that's that first step, right? You're admitting yeah. that your life yeah. is and that's unmanageable. The it's like one of the things I've learned in this too is H O W. It's an acronym. H O W. Honesty, open-minded, and willingness. So this, then, that's an acronym for AA too. Right, and, uh, but we use it here. Is once you can be honest, especially with the sexual abuse stuff, you can't begin to heal until you can start to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And then you become open-minded, and then willing to put into play these suggestions that other people are coming up with. And those suggestions, some you're going to like, and some you're not. You don't have to do everything that you want to do. You know, it's you. You're going to get a bunch of suggestions. Take what you like. Leave the rest. I mean, it's another acronym from AA. Yeah. It's something that does work today. And what, but what you do get from others, I, that's what I found powerful about the the twelve step groups. I went through AA a little bit. I actually drank myself to death, so I went into rehab. I remember you telling a story. Yeah, and I, so I was forced into rehab by the state of Washington, and then I got into a little bit of NA later, um, dealing with uh, crack cocaine, methamphetamine. Yeah. And that, the most powerful thing I, I saw there was the power of me too. Mm-hmm. You know, because you hear other people in the group yep. talking about something that you thought you were weird, you thought you were alone in, yes. and then somebody else says it, and you're like, "Oh, me too!" You know, all start like, going off in your yeah, head. Like, Whoa! Yes. Wow! That's awesome. I remember that? So I love that. Uh, uh, H O W is H O W honesty, open mindedness, and then willingness and willingness. Yes, we just did the show on the readiness, you know, on the mm-hmm. on punk theology where we were talking about that. Yeah, whatever works for you. Yeah. But this is just one person's story, you know, well, two of us' story of, you know, what it was like. All I can do is I can't fix anybody and I can't tell you what to do. All I can do, and especially on your podcast, is just tell people this is what's happened, what it was like, where I'm at, and, you know, where I want to be. Right. And if you want, you know, something that we have, here's some suggestions that have worked for us. Um, and, but the biggest thing overall is that healing is possible. You know, yeah, it, 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 there's times when people would tell me that in the past. I'd go tell them to go fuck off. Yeah, you know, I know this is an explicit podcast, so I can say <laughs> exactly, yeah. But um, you know, I'd, I'd like you, you're, you're, I, I had the game face. I'm like, yeah, great, thanks. You know, and I'm like, I want to get out of there, go home and drink, and just leave me alone. I'm gonna. Yeah. Again, if nothing changes, nothing changes. It was Groundhog Day every day. I mean, I get sick and tired of just waking up with a hangover and. You know, my, my problems weren't going away. They were just compounding and getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And that's, again, when I, that real estate market collapsed. You know, you, you may pity me for losing $10 million, but it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Wow. Because it was my wake-up call. I was alive to experience it. I went through it. 
I do have a close knit, close, close, close knit group of friends. Right. And what I realized for the first time is they didn't care if I had airplanes or money or whatever. They still loved me for who I was. And that was shocking for me because I went against all my ideology of you're going to like me because I'm a miniature Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're going to like me because I'm the next Bill Gates or, you know, this is what I own. This yeah. is what I'm doing. I'm playing an adult game of Monopoly. Yeah. There's some kind of payoff. Like, yeah. And that's, that's another thing about being intellectually... Um, working at it. There's a guy, uh, old punk rock guy, Henry Rollins, used the term intellectual cowardice to describe that feeling of leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Or people are just, people suck, right? Yeah. People suck. Like that, it's, it's easy to say that, mm-hmm. but it's intellectually cowardice because when we do that, we're just kind of stand on some superiority stage and then look down on the other people, you know, and, and it just keeps us isolated, doesn't yes. it? Religious people are really good at that. Yes. And, and that's, that's one of those things that has to break down. That's the thing about the church is that, you know, you go in there and everybody has a great face, they're wearing nice clothes on their Sunday bass and all this stuff, but underneath... Mm-hmm. Underneath, there's a story to be told. Oh, and everyone that's what the church got a story. About. Yeah, you know, and that's what you know. You go in, you have a great face. That that represented my previous life. As I went in, and I I presented a phenomenal face to you that I was okay, but underneath, I was a train wreck. But I had nowhere to go and nowhere to turn. Yeah, you know, I went to psychologists. I got try to get help, and I'd go in, and I couldn't talk about myself, my emotions, my feelings. Which is, if you're a guy that that's going to sound really scary, I would talk about sports, the weather, and my grades. You yeah. know, I mean, and my parents were very wealthy. They threw me through. My mom threw me through a lot of counseling when I was younger. That was all. I mean, and but that's all that happened about it. And it wasn't until I hit my rock bottom and the pain of not doing anything outweighed the benefit of actually making a change. Right. And I woke up as an adult and I said, I can't continue to live like this. There's got to be a better way to do it. I don't know how to do it. And then it's that provincial act of surrendering. So yeah. I can't do it. It's step and one, right? Surrender. Step, yeah, you call step one whatever. You could say it's you, you come to Jesus, you come to whatever, or just your self-realization that there's something else out there. The pain of not doing anything outweighs the benefit of doing it, and I've got to make a change. Yeah. And that's where I reached out to. That's a combination of you know my fiance walking out, also um, me losing, going through bankruptcy court of ten million dollars or more, losing the things that were I value, I thought I valued that determined who I was, but it didn't. Yeah. And that's when I reached out to this guy um, who is um, his name is Thomas Edward. And okay. He runs Healing Broken Men, and he is um, he's currently in Sacramento. And um, he runs workshops, and he, he's an abuse survivor like us. Uh-huh. And um, he, he does the podcast too. Right? He does the podcast his own, and I've been on quite a few of them with him. And but he runs these work- weekend workshops. Uh-huh. And I remember going to my first one, and I, it was actually up here in Western Washington. And I was scared. I was sick for a week. I couldn't. I was like, I'm going to a workshop with seven other guys from all over the world. They're flying in. Uh-huh. And I'm going to stay in with them. I, and they're like, is it going to be safe? I'm scared. My heartbeat was, I, I couldn't sleep. I was, but it was the best thing I ever did. And right. I, you know, I've gone to four of his workshops in the last three years. I'm not promoting this, but I'm just saying this is my path of what I've done. And then I've used him for coaching one-on-one to supplement my EMDR. Right. And my sessions with him were supposed to be 45 minutes. We would end up going five to seven hours wow. just working on stuff. And we did a lot of whiteboard, which is where you put a piece of paper on the wall and you map out your abuse, you know, and I couldn't do it because it was so foggy. Right. So we just started really simple. Okay. When I was 16, I got my pilot's license. 
and I got my driver's license. So we put, okay, 16, and then we, and then we bring in pictures of my past, and we kind of assimilate where was I living at what day, what school was I in, where did the abuse start, what can I remember, and all of a sudden little pieces start coming back. Right. And that's that's part of it. It's going through it, not around under it, and that's attacking it. Yeah. And um, he was a safe, it was safe, but it took me a long time to feel safe with him or anybody else. Um, and, that, and that's hard, you know. It, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier, emotional nudity. Uh, you know, the the thing with the church and, the, and pornography today is it's, just, it's, 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 it's a funny thing. Like, I, I know that people are suffering with it, but at the same time, it's good in the sense that it's showing people, like you were saying, that that storm going on beyond their Sunday best. Yes. You know? And <clears throat> hidden secrets. Yep. Exactly. And when I talk about porn addiction, for me, it, it was to the point where, and people throw that word around a lot. A lot of religious people use it to shame others, right? It's like mm-hmm. a shamey thing. We shouldn't be looking at porn. Well, I think that when when it's would it no longer when you because a lot of people say, well, I own my porn collection. Well, mm-hmm. when it owns you and you don't own it, there's the point. There's th- the that's point. the point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, that's when a good line to write. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. When it starts to yeah. control your life, whatever yes. it is, for you it was alcohol. For me, it was yeah. well, it was alcohol. And but that was just the, that was kind of the thing in my story where the, the right Christian God had saved me from my chemical romances. Yes. But then I had this sexual thing, kind of in the dark, and you know, I, I struggled with it, but I didn't really tell anybody about it. But it pointed to that wound mm-hmm. that that you and I are talking about here that I didn't want to deal with because I you're right like you were just saying I didn't want to go to that place and actually right. talk about it. I was scared to death I still am like I have a friend um, and and him and Amy my friend Seth Taylor and he his wife does these um, energy uh, healings where mm-hmm. they they move the energy in your body the body keeps the score that kind right. of thing. And I did one uh, process, and I, I want to do another one. But I'll be honest, I'm I'm scared. Good. But that's why I want to do it again because yes. I know there's something about body going. Oh crap! Like my heart beats, and I yeah. think about it. Like oh, you know, my body's going. Oh fuck! I don't want to <laughs> do this. Yep. And that's exactly why I need mm-hmm. to. You know, that's there's exactly. Why if you're I scared, need there's to. something there. Look at it. Yeah. Look at it on objectively. But yes, that's part of your healing is doing that. Now, marijuana is a great example. It was illegal and it was like shunned upon. Now it's legal. So. Yeah. You can do it, yeah. so, but but if you still have a problem with it yourself, a mental reservation or an uncomfortableness, that's where you have to look at. Yeah, you know, pornography. I I look at porn today. I masturbate. It's just what I do. Do I do it every day or seven days, seven times a week? No. Do I act on it? Do I film other people? No. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a, an end user. Yes. Um, is it something that I do? Absolutely. Did I feel shame for in the past? Yes. Do I today? No. But if it's what, it's your, each person's own, and that's what's so different about psychology is each person's own interpretation of it. Yeah. So if you feel like you, you miss church and you're just going to go to hell, that's your interpretation of it. I don't go to church anymore. I just don't. I just, I have no really want, need or want to do it. Uh-huh. And I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. someone else is going to have a different opinion. And that's where we, you have to look at it as what does it, what is it doing to you? mentally psychologically yeah. if you don't go to church what is it that if for people could be alcohol, addicted to church too yeah, which yeah. is so bad. porn, <laughs> porn. Let's take porn yeah. another example if you've got a lot of people listening to this for porn well, you know our our 
lady that we I'm not going to use her name, but on our group, she, yeah, she's a she's therapist all, that oh, runs the group. Awesome, and she's amazing. I love the lady, but we'll, we'll just call her whoever. But anyways, she's like, you know, if you're going to do porn, if you're going to masturbate, be the best at it. If you're going to drink, be the best at it. If you're going to smoke marijuana, be the best at it. If you're going to have sex, be the best at it. But it's the problem is, is that if you cross a line that mentally it starts hurting you or other people, mm-hmm. that's where you have to look at it. Exactly. What is it doing for you? Yeah. And w- the other thing for me is that I did all these things and I had the shame, guilt, and the depression and anxiety about doing these things in the past. But it was because I hadn't dealt with something that was much a bigger, deeper issue with the, the trauma of the experience of the child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And as I dealt with it, and I started to see these are the things and how I coped with it instead of dealing with it because I wasn't able to go through it. I was always going around it, under it, or over it, instead right, of through yeah, it. Yeah. I was using the alcohol, drugs, pornography, all the other stuff on the outside as a self-soothing thing to try and find answers. But as I worked on, like I said, as I worked on the stuff, the underlying issues, these things, I don't drink as much as I even began to. Um, smoke, hardly do that, pornography, nothing like I used to. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't like, control you it, anymore. It, it, yeah, and it doesn't define me who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, I'm reconnecting with these other people. And um, like I said, marijuana was illegal. Now it's legal. Yeah. I, I mean, so what do you tell your kids? You know, it's like I grew up. <laughs> I mean, I, you're using my first name, so my anonymity is protected here. But, you know, I grew up, my mom telling me, you can't smoke, you can't smoke, you can't smoke. All of a sudden, it became legal. She's smoking marijuana now. Right. I'm like, wait a second, there's a mixed signal here. And remember, this is huge. And if you're still listening to this, this is so important. that You're going to get a lot of guilt and shame from your parents. But yeah. you have to understand that you are not your parent. As an adult, you are your own person, and you get to make your own rules today. Yeah. That's huge. I, was, I mean, my parents, my, my mom was, you know, my, I call it our non-offending parent, um, had a lot of shame and guilt still on me as a 40-year-old adult. You know, right. I was always trying to appease her and make her happy. Well, I, screw that shit. I need to work on myself. Again, same thing with the church. I was trying to make the church happy and do everything I could for the church. And, yeah. I mean, I grew up as an altar boy. The churches boy. love that. But every day I was an altar boy from grade school, every single morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I can't wait on the church to fix me. I need to take charge of my recovery. I need to do what other... What, and I went out and I started looking at stuff and seeing what works for other people, what doesn't work. And then I said, I can't do this on my own anymore. And that's when I reached out to Thomas. And again, that's the hardest thing to do is that first step is my life is unmanageable. I can't do this. Help me. Show me what to do. I'm going to take a leap of faith. And for the first time, someone that's such a control freak is going to give up control in something so vulnerable, mm-hmm. sexuality, um, safety, all these dark, secret, taboo things in my past I'm not able to talk about. That provincial act, is, that's just, it's huge. Yeah. You know, even today, I just finished my last workshop, and I mean, I cried like a baby watching that st- stupid freaking movie, The Shack, again. And <laughs> right. my interpretation of that today has changed. Is that today I can forgive myself for what's happened? How I I can't forgive the person who abused me because they knew better, and that's that's a whole nother chapter. Yeah. But what I can do is, for the first time in my life, I can start to forgive myself for how I acted out. Right. People that I heard along the way when I was drinking, when I was smoking, when I was being selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. There's a lot of women out there that I heard really bad that, yeah. that wanted a relationship and wanted to go the next step. But as soon as they got too close, I pushed them away because it was coming into my little bubble and I didn't even feel comfortable myself in there. Right. And those are things I still have to work on today. And I'm working on them and I'm moving in that direction. But there's hope today Yeah. where there was no hope in the past. Yeah.
so. relationships and getting into that space. It's yeah, like, hey, you're the professional. You're the one that has kids, and I aspire <laughs> no. to be like you. Oh man, kids. you know, I just, and that's the thing about me is that's how bad my penis was. I couldn't once that I, I would I was very promiscuous. I wanted that, and this is kind of like on a sexual line of it too. Is I wanted that connection so bad, and I thought that. It, my connection with somebody was through sexual. I didn't know I could have a non-sexual relationship with somebody. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I'm learning today. And, and that intimacy very, can start in the heart. Yes. And not just. I mean, there's a different kind of nudity, right? Like you get yeah. naked with someone. And yep. yeah. Yeah. My was friend was uh, for me. Yeah. It was, yeah. But once you wanted something else more close, then I felt vulnerable, exposed, and uncomfortable. And my first thing to do is self-sabotage that relationship. Right. And I, I so get that. That's, that's one of the things that I learned as well with uh, just processing my sexual history, mm-hmm. you know, and the people that I hurt and the relationships that got messed up. And I got married really young. Yes. And I was true to my wife up until uh, I, I started with, it, it started with the, the porn mm-hmm. and then it got to like real actual people, you know. Mm-hmm. And through through I mean I ha- that's the sad thing is that I I wish I wish I was the guy who healed earlier and maybe this is one of the my pleas for someone who's listening now like don't put this on the burner until it gets so bad that you feel like you're physically in hell yes. it, it's sort of like you're going to have to go through hell for healing but hell's waiting for you if you don't yes and that's kind of just how it, I'm not I'm speaking metaphorically, yeah, right? I'm not yeah. talking about devils and pitchforks, and you're going to the bad place. Yeah. Or you're gonna smoke a turd in purgatory or some <laughs> shit like that. Yeah. I'm talking about I'm talking about the the in the realm of healing. It's kind of like I think what Scott and I are trying to say is if you feel like you're going through hell, keep going. Yep. Right. Never give up hope. That's right. Because if you're if it's uncoverable, that means you're doing something right. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And it's, it's, uh, it's unsafe. And mentally, what is it doing to yeah. you? Emotionally. If when your body gets scared and does oh, that yeah. thing, right? I shut down. Yeah. Or it's like I exercise. Yeah. Even exercise. Like yes. our body, we don't oh, exercise. So the number right? one thing for me is, we're, I mean, I was way overweight. And when I met Thomas, we, we came up with three goals. One of my goals was just put on my shoe, running shoes in the morning and get dressed. Right. Go down, read the co- get your coffee, read the news or computer. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, shit, I've got time. I might as well go for a run. Now I'm a world-class triathlete traveling all over the world. I'm going to be in Mexico on Thanksgiving yeah. doing a full the full Ironman. I could right. never done that before. At 48. At 48 years old, yeah. I'm going to run a full Ironman, which is going to start at 7 a.m. And all I got to do is get across that finish line 100 and whatever, 40 miles by midnight. Wow. It's a 2.4-mile swim. Open ocean, 112 miles on the bike, and uh, then a full marathon afterwards run 26 plus miles. And I can do it. And yeah. I know I can. But that was the hugest thing for me is for starting, even if you're not doing therapy or anything like that, go for a walk and do it outside and get fresh air. You know, yeah. those endorphins release is the best thing you're going to do. And you're going to fight yourself. You're not going to want to do it. But when you start working out and you start feeling it in your body, um, a lot of us are overweight. A lot of us have substance abuse. <laughs> uh, we do we do yeah. it through food and all that yeah, stuff yeah. too. Yeah. Um, we have if we don't care for ourselves mentally, we're not going to care for ourselves physically, yeah. and we're going to let our bodies go and that kind of stuff. And it's amazing feeling to just that's where it started for me was getting outside because I was such an isolationist again, um, getting outside and getting that fresh air, and then all of a sudden I. 
one of my big healing lately has been this last year is I met a, um, a group of people who are in a triathlon group in the Seattle area. And there's about 1,600 of them in the group. And I started training with these guys. So I'm getting, and it's free. I think they asked for a $10 donation or something for the Ministry of Costs. Right. And I'm getting So Meetup, you got on the Meetup meet app. Mm-hmm. And, and started looking for people who were interested yes. in the same kind of things you yes. were. And started making these relational connections. Right. Huge. And all of a sudden, I found people that had a common interest. Yeah. And these people are like, they're swimmers, they're runners, they're bikers. I was good at the swim, but I was not very good at the run. So I was getting help from people running. They keep me accountable. Each week, um, the Saturday, we're going for a 107-mile bike ride, you know, and it's just being in connection with those other people, and it keeps you accountable, and it's healthy, and it's yeah. free. Yeah. It doesn't cost me a goddamn penny. Yeah. It's the best part. And, you know, and here's the other thing about my story is that I don't have to tell everybody my story. For the yeah. first time in my life, today, I have control, and that right. control is who I can. I choose who I tell my story to. Uh-huh. I'm at that point where I can do a blanket podcast, and I'll probably continue to do these things the rest of my life yeah but i'm okay with it and i can talk about it there was a time that i could not talk about it yeah you know and like the most important thing in this thing is just do not give up hope listen there's two of us right here that have been through something if you're listening to this and you have the same experience here are two guys that are continually working on it yes do we have to work on it the rest of our life absolutely but it's a lot more manageable today and life takes on a whole new meaning when you work on it and you start having hope that's right. It's unbelievable. And the, you are so resilient. This thing is, I, I don't even want to get into it, but there's, you have qualities that most people don't have because of the abuse yeah. that are good and they're going to help you later on in your life. And you'll see that later on. Yeah. Empathy is one of them and understanding and compassion for other people is yeah. huge. I was, and the, that's funny saying that from the guy that was selfish, self-centered, self-seeking and Scott, you know, it's all about Scott. And yeah. now it's more about, you know, spending an hour on my day helping you to help this podcast to reach other people to prove to them that healing is possible. That's it's right. Absolutely 100% possible. And I'm still in that, that realm of healing where um, the group that we uh, were going to, mm-hmm. uh, so Chuck and I are going there, uh, Bill is another guy. I'm using first names. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was in protecting people for two years. Yeah. yeah, you were in that group for two years, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the cool thing about it. Unlike a lot of therapists who will suck money out of you forever, <laughs> the more problems you have, the more money they make. You know, this group is like, I think you're done. Like you can, you, you can, can go move forward. Yeah, and yeah. that's when we say done. It's like we're. This is going to be part of me the rest of my life, but I'm ready to. It's not that I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. It's just, I'm ready to move forward to the next stage, and that's like I want to engulf life. I want to be vulnerable. I want to go out there and start dating. I want to see if I can, you know, um, I'm meeting new friends through these, you know, relationships, through these these meetups and stuff. It's getting me out of isolation. It's free. I like free. Um, and I'm meeting healthy, like-minded, conscious people. Yeah. And I'm seeing there's another way to live my life. I missed the boat for the first 48 years. Right. But it doesn't mean I have to miss the boat in the next 48. Yeah. And these guys are, it's amazing. The people I'm meeting are awesome. And the, the gals that I'm meeting in these clubs, they're athletic, they're like-minded, professional adults like myself. Um, and all we are is they're sharing a common experience. So we just we enjoy doing triathlons and swimming, right. biking, and running. You know, it's, I mean, Lake Washington, I, I mean, I did something crazy this year. I swam, what was it, 3.5 miles from I-90 Bridge all the way to 405. And it was a, called the Fat Salmon right. Race. I never knew about it. Yeah. And um, you have a two-hour cutoff. And I did like an hour and 44 minutes. And... But I would never have known had I not been in this group and someone said, hey, are you doing the fat salmon? And I didn't know what it was. And uh-huh. then we trained for it. And it gives you a goal. 
you know, if if you're new, if you're listening to this and you want to do like a do like a 5K or something, sign up. Go look on the um, active.com or just Google 5K anywhere in your area, and it's just three miles, and you can walk it. Right. But what I have to do is like for my triathlons, I have to have a race every 30 to 45 to 60 days because I have to have something to train for. I have to have something to look for right. forward to, and. I have a workup for it, and it just, God, it feels amazing to get out there and do a good swim, a good bike, a good run, you know, and just cross fish. And the nicest part today is I'm not that competitive. I don't have to be first. Right. You know, I don't have to make the podium. Yeah. I do by default on accident, but that's not my goal. I'm out there to meet people and enjoy the experience and have a good time. Yeah. And that's, that's more important to me. Yeah. And from the guy that was an isolationist, and I'm relearning how it is. As a normal person growing up, you learn to make friends in school. Yeah. You learn to, as you get older, you learn what a girlfriend is or a partner or whatever. Yeah, you, you learn, learn to make healthy communi- yes. human yeah. communication. You make mistakes through parents and stuff. As a child of being a victim of sexual abuse, what's happened is that entire life, I was thrusted upon me, the sexual aspect of it, way before I should have ever have had to happen. Yeah. And one of those things is, you know, the first person I ever slept with was my sister. Because right. and it took a, that was a lot of guilt and shame for me because yeah. here I am as an abuse survivor, here I am as the person who's now if you look at it, I could be you can consider me a perpetrator. Yeah, you know I legally could until it was explained to me that I had no idea at eleven, twelve years old what it meant. I had no intent. My intent was this is what people do. I mean, I was yeah. lied to, manipulated by my abuser. That was, was your norm. Bought. Yeah, I had no idea what it was. And I lived with this guilt and shame for so long until I realized that I was over-sexualized as a child. That I was exposed to it. Instead of a natural progressive course of, you know, being exposed to it, it was thrust upon me because someone was selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, had no intention on me. And what I was doing is they should have harbored that guilt. But I took their guilt and I experienced their guilt and I, I lived with that guilt and shame in my life. And that's not how I need to live my life today. That's right. So it's, yeah. yeah. And then, man, that was a tough one for me. But today I'm okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I understand that that was something that happened because as a byproduct of being a a abuse survivor, you know, it was tough. Yeah. It's hard to forgive oneself. can be the hardest thing to do. Of all the shit that's happened in our lives. Yes. Sometimes ourselves are the hardest person to forgive, you know. Yes, and the thing is that healing does happen. And yeah. healing, like I said, do not give up hope. Yeah. So, Amen. And, yeah, but it's Thank, good. Thanks, Scott. The last thing I'll say before we quit, and okay. in every podcast, is like, seriously, listen to what we have to say. Find one commonality between the two of us. This or any other Russ's podcasts are awesome. I listen to them. They're really good. And don't fight the differences. Fight, find the similarities. And do not ever give up hope. Because if you're like me where you're ready to commit suicide, you know, and I, I should have. I should have been dead multiple times over and over for the, either the way I acted out, the alcoholism, the drugs, promiscuity, whatever it was. And I'm here today for a reason. That's Healing right. happens. It's possible. And, but you got to go through the work. And hopefully the pain now of not doing anything the benefits of doing something outweigh the benefits of not doing anything for you. So, That's right. you know, reach out to Russ and, you know, I'm available too. Russ has my private contact information and you can reach out to him on his website. That's right. Russ at ASI247.org is my email address and the website is ASI247.org. Um, and, yeah, that's that's important too. If you've never told anyone about this ever, 
telling just one little person widens that circle just a little bit and you start to like step out from that isolated fog and, and so and I've been that guy for a lot of people there's a lot of people who I'm the first one they ever told about you know their sexual addiction or um, being abused mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I just want to throw that out there again and, and again if you'd like to connect with Scott I can I can make that happen as yep. well yep. get a hold um, of Russ and listen to his other podcasts too and use other resources there's a lot out there and they're becoming more prevalent and we have those resources available to us and we can give those to you guys too Yeah. Um, and a lot of this stuff is free um, oh, yeah. the group that you and I go to um, yeah. know, on our Mondays that's, that's free it's paid for by somebody else as a grant Yeah. it's huge yeah. And that those things are available, and we need more of them out there. So yeah. I'm going to advocate. I'm here, you know. And like I said, just don't give up hope. But, yeah. You know, if you're still listening an hour and ten minutes into this, good luck. <laughs> That's right. We love you guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me, buddy. You bet. Bye. There goes my friend Scott. Just using his first name for anonymity on the show today um scott said hey if you want to get a hold of him send him an email you can do that through me and i can forward it on uh, asi247.org is the website for this here podcast russ at asi247.org is my email address I'd love to hear from you, and uh, again, if you'd like to get in touch with Scott, you can do that there. If you'd like to hear more from Scott, he's been on a handful of shows called Healing Warrior, uh, Male Abuse Recovery Coaching. So that is a uh, podcast done by a uh, uh, male sexual assault survivor and does these these shows. And uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out as well. Um, this was a huge one for me, uh, digging into my own recovery and getting into this part of my story. I know it's not everyone's story. All right. I know that. But a large percentage of you guys out there have had some kind of sexual abuse um and again if you're not sure what that is we can talk about it again i'm not a therapist but i am a coach in this area not a certified coach but someone who's been podcasting on this topic for 12 years i've learned a thing or two so russ at asi247.org listen uh also i i lost my job earlier in the week kind of by default um, my engine in my car that I use for my Uber and Lyft driving blew up alright uh, I blew the head gasket possibly it could be even worse I, I don't have the money to fix it so I'm like out of work right now so this ministry uh, the ASI podcast uh, could really use any donations you could send my way I'd certainly appreciate that it is, uh, again, ASI247.org if you'd like to give just to keep the monthly uh, bills paid on this podcast because God knows I can't afford to do it. Um, I'd certainly appreciate that. It keeps the word out, keeps this thing up and online. And now more than ever, I could really use your help with that. Till next time, love you guys. wanted to leave you with a song. Uh, I was a little raw in the intro to that. Maybe you can tell why now, talking about my my life, where my life is at right now. Um, But I wanted to share this tune with you, uh, Bumper, right? Heading out 
on this podcast because it's uh, kind of where my heart's at and where faith with a big F or a little F is where the rubber meets the road kind of thing. And I love this tune. Um, The definition of faith is strong belief in things that are unseen, right? Putting faith in something is something we do without proof, right? Without schematics and guaranteed results. That's faith. Faith existing in a relationship is something else. And that's why, you know, some of these shows on shame and having guys like Scott on, I'm not going to, you know, hey, don't you know how bad the porn industry is, you know, and how dare, like, no, we're going to get into the gritty roots of shame and faith and relationship in this show. So I hope you understand that. And uh, I know some may be afraid to have those kind of conversations uh, or feel they need to, you know, be the morality police in these kind of conversations. That's not my place. And and I think that that's not really important. We've been doing that for how many years now? And is it helping? No. So I hope you enjoy the uh, lead out bumper music. Also, that band that was uh, did the cover version, so that was a cover of Alanis Morissette's Uninvited, and I, I love that cover, kind of a metal cover by a band called Red Sun Rising, Uninvited. So wanted to share that with you too, love that song. Of course, Alice Cooper with Welcome to My Nightmare. Uh, all the music on the podcast is on Spotify. Also, I changed the name of the Spotify playlist for this podcast to ASI Podcast Bumps, so it's easier to find. So if you want to search that in Spotify, if you're a Spotify user, ASI Podcast Bumps, and you can hear the songs in their entirety instead of the uh, small snippets that I play on this show. Yeah, ASI Season 3, all one word, is the playlist on uh, Spotify. If you would like to follow that, those are all the tunes. You follow the bands. It's it's a great way to keep in touch with the music. Uh, love all you guys and girls. Right. Till next time, bye. Oh, me of little faith Can't seem to see my way Out of the storm I'm in Doubting waves crashing in Down to my last mustard seed God help all me of little faith ASI247.org Oh me of little love A lonely life in the middle of I see your face is racing on I think I find it then it's gone 